Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by the Climb Career Summit, which is powered by Weber Shanwick and fueled by Nike. What is the Climb? Well, I am so glad that you asked. The Climb is an interactive soft skills career summit that was created with ambitious middle career Black women in mind. The theme of the 2022 summit, The Great Reshuffle, Redefining the Corporate Dream. So if you're trying to figure out what the next chapter of your career can look like, you want to be in the building. For more information on The Climb, head to ictlsummit.com. Again, that's ictlsummit.com. And I look forward to seeing you. In this episode, you meet Ray Livingston, the Chief Equity Officer at AbbVie. In this role, Ray leads enterprise efforts to promote a diverse, equitable, bias-conscious, and inclusive culture with internal and external impact. Ms. Livingston serves on the AbbVie executive leadership team. In her previous role, Ms. Livingston served as Vice President, Business Human Resources, Corporate Functions, and U.S. Employee Relations when she joined AbbVie in 2016. Before AbbVie, Ms. Livingston held multiple vice president roles, primarily in business human resources. In this capacity, her areas of accountability and specialty included global operations and engineering services, headquarter functions, and merger and acquisitions, as well as driving a culture of inclusion. Her career journey has included pivotal experiences with SC Johnson and Medtronic domestically, as well as Rockwell Automation and JP Morgan Chase, where she grew her global footprint. In 2021, Ms. Livingston was recognized by Diversity Woman Media's Elite 100 list as one of 100 extraordinary Black women executives changing the face of corporate America. She was also named to the Healthcare Business Women's Association Advisory Board to help guide the HBA strategy on diversity dynamics. Ms. Livingston is also a member of the Executive Leadership Council, the Global Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Executives Council with the Conference Board and the Society for Human Resource Management Executive Network. Previously, Ms. Livingston served as board chair for the YWCA of Southeast Wisconsin and as a member of the Executive Committee. She earned her bachelor's degree and master's degree in business administration from Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. You all are in for such a treat. When I tell you I fangirled the minute that I realized that Ray would be on um, on the podcast and the level of intentionality um, that she has around how she pours into the next generation of leaders, her openness about her own experience, and just her commitment to ensuring that there is a place for anyone who wants to work within the walls of her organization, um, for me, is just commendable. And so, as always, I want you to grab your Choose a Ladder notebook, a pen, and your favorite beverage, and get ready to get to work. Y'all, I have such a treat for you all today. We have Ray Livingston, who is the Chief Equity Officer at AbbVie. If you have not Googled her, do yourself a favor, Google her. She's been on every list, on every power list, on every beautiful Black woman list, on every everything. So Ray, thank you so much um, for being on the podcast today. Washington, it's my pleasure. I, I, I just, I'm humbled and you have me blushing over here. I'm trying to raspberry. <laughs> um, so when people see your title and by people, I mean me, they are automatically like intimidated, right? Because you're in the C-suite, there's like power in my mind, you're flying in p- private jets with stilettos, hair blown in the wind, Birkin bag on your hand. Like you're doing all of the things. That's what I picture. 
Is that your reality? No, I mean, watching, I think being in the C-suite, well, first of all, let me just say thank you for this um, opportunity. I think given what I do on a day-to-day basis, the opportunity to really talk to Black women about what it's like to be a Black woman who has ascended the ladder um, humbly um, with favor. Um, I've heard you say before, you know, I'm not, I wasn't aware of my privilege. I think I was somewhat aware, but I continue to be more aware of that. And so I don't take it for granted. And so it's for me really important to pay that forward. Um, not so much give back, but pay it forward. And so thank you for the opportunity. In terms of the experience of being in the C-suite, there's some of that, right? There's, uh, I think that with that ascension comes the opportunity to be in a different um, place. For you, you're the chief equity officer. And we, but we don't typically hear about chief equity officers. We hear about chief diversity officers, chief DNI officers. What's the difference? And so at V, you know, we've been on this road around culture since January of 2013. Um, it's one of the reasons I joined the company to see a leadership team have that foresight uh, so far in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, we we always also had a diversity and inclusion leader. Um, at first, that was part of the talent acquisition and talent responsibilities. In 2018, we elevated diversity and inclusion to be diversity, equality, and inclusion mm-hmm. reporting directly to the CHRO. And in 2020, we elevated that again um, to have a chief equity officer, which is the role of that sit in today. And really the difference, so we didn't change the diversity piece of that. We still have a leader that was focused on diversity, uh, equity, equality, and inclusion. But the equity part watching is really about how do you meet the needs of people? We all have different needs. So equality is, I can give us all the same thing, right? Um, We can go to the same college and we can all have the same textbooks. But equity says, what do you need? What's the individual need to get to the same starting point? Is there something different about their experience, different about their life experience that while we're starting at the same point and we have the same textbook, that person may need a different type of mentorship. They may not have had professional development. They may not have had internships. They may not have had parents in the household with a um, dual career, dual income. So, so sometimes we look like we're at the same starting point and we gave everybody the same thing, but they don't need the same thing. Mm-hmm. So equity is really about that advocacy to say, how do we get people to the same starting point who have potential without judging whether or not this is a reflection of my talent, but a reflection of maybe my life cycle didn't have the same experiences. And so what I do with my team is we look at that a possibility of providing more equity on a global and enterprise scale versus one person at a time. And did you know that, like, let's say back in undergrad, did you know that you wanted <laughs> to do this work? Because no, seriously, because I think people- No. <laughs> you just know, right? You go to school, you got, and I know you have your MBA. So you go to school, you go to grad school, and then like, you just know, and you just go for it. Like, that's the narrative. You know, from the beginning, you don't waver, you give your blood, sweat, and tears, and then eventually you get there. Like, is that what it was for you? 
what I knew from the beginning is I wasn't going back home. My dad said, hey, listen, we're going to get you all through school and um, you can go a lot of places, but you can't come back here. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's what I knew for sure. Um, as a young person, I, I was afforded an opportunity to take part in an internship when I was 17 uh, through, a comp- through a program called Training Opportunities for Proven Stars. And so as a junior in high school, I was able to take an internship at a Fortune 500 organization. Um, and quite honestly, watching, I was um, I was in that water, really not aware of the temperature, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not really knowing what I was learning at the time, not really knowing what I was absorbing at the time and how much it would be one of those accelerators. Um, because culture hides most from itself. So mm-hmm. um, I think being in a corporate culture that early and really not even knowing what, what I was watching, um, but having that intuition to say, okay, that was interesting. Um, you know, those are just having those opportunities, that opportunity um, really said I was going to be interested in business. And so I had an opportunity to dabble in marketing, finance, human resources through internships. So that was that was kind of how I got my start. Say. And some people who listen are on the fence about if a like an advanced degree like an MBA actually makes a difference. For you, what was that decision making or that process to deciding, yes, an MBA makes sense, or were you just trying to like prolong your time of not going home? <laughs> no, not on that part. My dad was like, hurry up. Um, what I would say is maybe two things about the MBA. Um, one, I thought it was important. I thought it was a differentiator. I have heard some folks say it really didn't matter. Um, you know, it didn't create a difference for me. And, and what I would add to that is that may be a little bit of the privilege because sometimes when people look at your resume, and see your background, the MBA is really a factor that, that sends a signal to the reader that you can accomplish something else that's difficult. So while you may not feel that you used it, sometimes it is used to vet you out more. Mm-hmm. And that sounds um, incredibly expensive, an expensive uh, thought process, right? Because an MBA is not, um, you know, a cheap experience. It certainly has investment related to it, but I wouldn't underestimate it as a um, differentiating factor sometimes. And if we're going to talk frankly, I think for women of color, uh, it, it it sometimes is something that stands out where, you know, if if women of color sometimes feel you have to work twice as hard, you know, sometimes that is what happens in the decision-making process. And your MBA may be important to beating out somebody who has a bachelor's degree in the exact same uh, field. It's sad, but I, I'm going to be, you asked us to be, you know, real on this mm-hmm. podcast. And I, I want to be honest with you. 
And I think the only thing that I would add to that is people, <clears throat> when people think about their MBA as someone who just recently completed mine and I went later in life, mm-hmm. um, they think about, did I get a new job that pays me more at all those things? I think one of the benefits of an MBA is that it teaches you to think in a very different way. And it, it teaches you to think like a leader. Even if you are not currently a leader, you start to flex that muscle just a little bit. Because I know I was in senior leadership when I went to Booth to get my MBA. Mm-hmm. The skills that I've gotten mentally, like I couldn't, and granted, I can't put a price on it because I know how much it costs, but <laughs> I think in the long term, right? Just the, I, I didn't go for a network. I actually went so that if I wanted to do something, me not could. Yeah. And so they can't say, oh, she, she doesn't qualify because she doesn't have an MBA, right? The cost of not having one to me outweighed the cost of paying to get one. And so that's why, why I went. And especially if you want to be in senior leadership, I think those things matter. Yeah, the optionality is is a little bit about what I was talking about before. To go down the street, you're on critical thinking skills and that methodology, uh, process, orientation um, at a speed. So when you think about what's happening at the master's of business administration level, you're now going to go from a four-year situation to a two-year accelerated situation, where in many cases, people are often working or doing an internship in between. So it's not all just uh, academic. And so what it's saying is buckle up, sweetheart, because we're getting ready to say, what's your capacity, right? Mm -hmm. So it pushes on that technical capability plus leadership. And by the way, you have to constantly have that critical thinking mechanism at work. Mm -hmm. So I think you're you're 100% correct about that. So you talked about your first internship and kind of not understanding the environment, right? And so how did you figure it out? Did you have mentors along the way? Did you even know that you might be able to leverage a mentor? Well, at 17, I mean, at 17, I think I knew what a mentor was uh, for sure. I I definitely had heroes in my parents, right, who had standards and expectations and constantly were coaches along the way. I think I had sponsors through school, people I developed and I trusted at that time. Um, and then at that particular company, I, which is S.E. Johnson, I developed a, more sponsors and mentors. That development watching comes from delivering. So while I, you know, there are a lot of times throughout your career when you, I'm getting goosebumps, there's times in your career where you don't know what's going on for you. Um, And it could be scary. You can feel like you're not quite ready to be completely at the table. All those noise things can be going off. But if you persevere and deliver the work product, uh, people will, that you'll get the recognition or the reinforcement that you need to continue, which ultimately builds more confidence. Mm-hmm. And so when I build more confidence on the technical side, the thing I'm here to deliver, that frees up some confidence room on the leadership side, which over the course of life, you know, it's called professional development, leadership, whatever those skills are, it frees that space up so that uh, you can become more comfortable in the water or the air that you, whatever that space you're in. Um, if we're not delivering, then not only do I have those, you know, those that self-talk going on, 
but now I, I, I know I'm not delivering and that doesn't feel good. So in those cases, you have a couple of choices to make. Um, and I'd say you got to diagnose that quickly so it doesn't impact both your confidence and your credibility. So let's talk about the flip side of that though. The, the overly ambitious go getter, <laughs> they start in like they're an assistant or a coordinator and they already like have their eye on the C-suite. Right. And so the way in which they move in a corporate culture may be off-putting. And, and if you add on the, the component of race, right, like how we move in our communities, sometimes that overzealousness can be seen as a negative for someone professionally, but they have the drive, they have the hunger. So like, what, cause I feel like that was me. I feel so bad for my first like three bosses because every day I was in there like, Hey, I did this. What's my promotion? And they're like, watch it. <laughs> if you come in here one more time, asking about this promotion, you've been here three weeks <laughs> relax. Right. So if you have those people who are like, but I have this desire and I have this thing, but it may not be moving at the pace that corporate can support. Like, what would you say to them? I would say to those folks, you make me smile. I would, I would say, where are you going so fast? And do you have a map? Where are you going so fast? And do you have a map? So just like if you and I were to go outside right now, and we both were told to go somewhere new, um, there are people who will start driving and there are people who will sit there and kind of map it out a little bit. And, and there'll be winners in both cases, right? But the the best way to do it in this particular example is to set your chart your course, set your map. Mm -hmm. And what I say to people is when you think about your map, what is your end goal? So if you think about your highest uh, career ambition, do you want to be an entrepreneur? Do you want to be a C-something, RO, CEO, CHRO, CFO? What do you want to be when you grow up? And then put that at the highest part of your map and then come back a few steps and say, where am I going? Right. And what are the strengths that already live on me? What are the technical and leadership strengths that already live on me? And given where I want to go, what are the skills, strengths, uh, technical skills, leadership skills that I need to develop? Mm. OK. And when you better understand first where you're going, then I can first where you're going. Second, what are the strengths that already live on me Two, what are the strengths? that I need to develop further or maybe new, right? When I start to think through those things, then I know what gap I need to close. Mm -hmm. And the reason I bring this up in the context of the go-getter and ambition is you're moving fast for the sake of what? Where are you going? So I'm gonna to continue to say, go back to the compass and the map. And when I, fi I find that when people do that, it will distribute the pace a little bit better. So if you're still going fast, let's say you've checked the box on three to four strengths for the next level. Well, then we need to set our sights on the next goal towards your end goal, right? So you've now checked all the boxes for position three, what's position four? And how much of that do you have? That starts to better moderate and maybe modulate um, the experiences I need to have next. And that helps me make a better decision about when it's time to move. Mm. Because what I found is like, what I said is how people burn out. Mm -hmm. You're running so fast. You don't know where you're going. You're raising your hand for all the projects. You're doing all these things. And at the end of it, you come with like a smorgasbord of things. And your boss is like, but 
the thing that could actually get you to the next level, you didn't spend enough time on, right? You were out there all of the things. Bingo. We never talked about what success looks like. We never talked about the plan. We were never thought partners in this. But now you're resentful with me because you're tired and you still didn't get your desired result. That's what I found. I know that y'all are better than me, so y'all don't do that. Um, but that's what I've seen happen in the workplace. Uh, I think you could drop the mic on what you just said. I mean, that that's the bottom line. Work smarter, not harder, right? Mm-hmm. So have that ambition, have that drive, make it count, make it count. So let's talk about mistakes then. Are there mistakes that you see us, like specifically Black women, making in corporate that our peers may not be making? And the mistakes may not even be intentional, right? Maybe like, we just don't know what we don't know. If you're first generation in corporate, there may be some things that you don't know. But are there things that are holding us back that if we try to hone in on could be used as an advantage? So the first thing I want to say is uh, I see women of color and people who are not of color making the same mistakes. Mm. Um, You know, sometimes it blends in when the person doesn't look like you or me. Uh, It's not labeled as quickly the same thing. So I think sometimes the same mistakes are made, um, moving too fast, over talking, mm-hmm. um, maybe being uh, super aggressive versus assertive. Uh, sometimes it could be not being present or not having a presence in a room, mm-hmm. um, not showing up. But the question may get asked, well, why is that person not what's going on for that person? Whereas for women of color it might be decided, um, oh, this person's not engaged or not interested versus seeking to understand what's going on. So first I want to level the playing field and say, I see some of the same issues. Um, the difference is the judgment comes a little bit more quickly. And so what I would, I go back to is, first of all, you're going to get tired of me saying this watching, we have to make our map, right? So Black women, one of the things I see is we don't own our career. You own your career. You own your career. Waiting for someone else is a mistake I see others make, and they pay for it. And I think women of color pay for it longer because there's more distance sometimes between the manager and the woman of color culturally. So they're trying to bridge it, and that takes a little longer, right? So you own your career. Have your map. Have your map, sit down and map out where you're going. It's critical. When you don't have the map, you don't know what conversations to have. Mm. So you don't have the map. You don't know where you're going. And therefore, you're not having the critical conversations earlier or more often, mm. right? The, the second thing I would say, uh, in addition to having your map, is contracting. I see us not contracting. What, Ray, what do you mean by contracting? Glad you asked watching. <laughs> so what you have to do is... You sit down, you mentioned this a minute ago. What is, what are my deliverables? Okay, you said you want me to deliver ABC project by this time. You want me to hit this profitability marker um, and whatever the other things may be. Um, What is it exactly going to look like? When did we check in? So I don't see us setting up a cadence. There's too much time between uh, kickoff and check-in. So you have to check in earlier and more often, which I call contracting. Mm -hmm. So we both sat down and said, this is what we were gonna do on the project, right? 
but we haven't checked in on the deliverables. And certainly we don't check in early enough, early enough to make sure that we haven't gone the wrong direction. Mm. So now we're checking in six months later instead of two or three months later. And actually that's even too long. So we, we don't, so we have the map missing, we're missing the contracting mm. and then we're missing the cadence. Mm. So map contracting cadence. And then the other thing I see us uh, having more opportunity, again, I see others making the same mistake is just getting feedback, creating the space for feedback and creating the space to listen to the feedback. Mm -hmm. So if we don't, if people, because sometimes I find that other cultures, if they haven't had experience with another culture, so in this case, it's us black women, people are trying to figure out these high bar ways to jump into a conversation with you. It's almost like double dutch, when am I gonna jump in? And I say, bring it down. You know, Black people have small talk and weather too. But the problem is if we don't have those small talk and weather conversations, now I need to have a big conversation with you about the project or I need to have a feedback conversation. And and sometimes manager is concerned or afraid. And so they keep putting it off, Mm -hmm. right? And now it's going on too long. So we have to actively create those spaces Mm. for feedback earlier and often. I'm going to pause there because I could talk. This is a passion topic for me. I I created a whole performance review planner just for this purpose. Some of it. (laughs) Um, And and here's what I will say. It is, and I know y'all are listening to me. You get sick of me saying this. It is up to the employee to own the contracting process. So the people in corporate who get help the most are the ones who are the easiest to help, right? And so your manager is managing a bunch of different careers and their own. You're just managing yours. So if you are expecting your manager to be the one saying, hey, we need to meet, hey, we need to meet, hey, let me set the agenda, like you're going to get lost, right? So the people who set an agenda, don't waste people's time, get in there and effective, have objectives, might confirm, ask right questions, ask follow-up. Those are the people who give their managers the ammunition that they need to advocate for them when they have to advocate because your manager typically is not the final yes. And so as you hear about contracting, I want to encourage you all to think what part of this process can I take ownership of that can help me help make me easier to help? Does that make sense? hundred percent. Okay. I mean, and I, and I agree. Um, It's, it's, it's crucial and it's so missed. It's kind of like calling, calling, receive, ask and answer. What did you hear me say? Mm-hmm. Does this look like what we talked about? Mm-hmm. Um, and just having that conversation sooner, two things happen. Clarity, you send a message to the manager that we can have these conversations. The mm-hmm. other thing, though, is you start to not just have a manager, but a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you talked about, though, is like the double Dutch effect, right? Because culturally, I know that we went into corporate being like, you don't need to make friends. Go in there, put your head down, do your job. Don't be in nobody's business. Don't be at the water cooler talking about nothing. And I think a lot of us- Who said that? (laughs) Everybody, people are like, listen, Black folks, like you don't want to be on people's radar, but that's not the truth, right? You go into corporate and you realize it's actually the relationships and the water cooler and and those other things that help you. And it doesn't mean that you got to share- like all your business, right? So how do you think about networking and building relationships um, throughout your career? 
So you don't have to have friends, but you do need to have relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can have a whole conversation about the difference between those two at work um, and and the lines that may need to be there. But how I think about the networking that you need to do, and I probably lean less toward call it networking. It for me really is what are the right relationships you need to have at work? You need to have technical relationships. You need to have leadership relationships. What I mean by technical, whatever your craft is. So functionally, if you're in finance, you need, and you're a corporate finance person, you need somebody that knows the business. If you're in corporate finance, you need to to have somebody who knows the metrics that are each product is held to in the corporate finance environment. You need to have somebody who understands the cadence when things are due, what happens at month end. So those are technical pieces if you're in corp finance, right? Then you need the leadership part. What's What commands a premium here? What are the ways that we work? What are the behaviors that we value at this organization? So really understand how do I navigate here? Now, there's always this piece where you're developing your leadership shadow who am I and what type of leader do I want to be mm-hmm. and understanding the leadership premium at your company or at any point in time. So I'm not suggesting that you should be 20 different people. If you work for 20 different companies, mm-hmm. what I am suggesting is you understand your leadership space in vis-a-vis the space that you're in. Mm-hmm. And so then you can build versatility and understand, you know, when do I need to flex not be phony, but flex my my style based on who I'm speaking with mm-hmm. uh, and what my desired outcome is. Outcomes matter, right? Begin with the end in mind, Stephen Covey. So um, I think it's just uh, really important that we just continue to think through how you build those different relationships uh, and for what purpose. So you got the technical, you got the leadership. Now, sometimes you need somebody who talk about what is it like to be me at work. So in this case, maybe it's a black woman. Maybe it's just a woman. Um, You know, whatever that is, how was your journey? How did you make decisions? Uh, Sometimes you might think it's happening because of that. And that person may give you perspective and say, no, 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 let's, let's take a step back. Let's widen the lens. That's not what I see. Right. And so that can help us separate the emotional triggers sometimes that come up because sometimes we've been overwrought with situations outside of work that we bring in. And maybe that situation was one more straw, right? In in you know, on the camel's back. But the reality is maybe that wasn't really what happened today. So you need somebody to constantly have perspective. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have a board of directors and develop what I call a wheel. And you need to go around that wheel and say, I need a technical person. I need somebody that's more leadership. I need somebody who better understands my demographic profile. Um, I always say I would like one or two white men in my profile because that's the dominant demographic in corporate America. And so let me get their perspective on something. And so it's really building your your board of directors wheel. Mm -hmm. And the one other comment I'd make about that watching is, Some wheels are for a lifetime. Some wheel members are for a lifetime and some are for a season, right? So I might have somebody on my board of directors that's helping me with this current job, current position, current situation. Um, But when I move to the next level, 
I might need to dump my backpack out and that person may need to shake out because they may not serve you well in that next level. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have people that have been with me the 30 years of my career Mm -hmm. who now know me, what makes me sing, what makes me smile, where I've really achieved and thrived. And they also know when they don't see, you know, what they expect to see, they can hold up that mirror and say, I don't, this doesn't seem like you, or you don't seem like this is it. Right. So you also, so I think having that person that has that long runway with you, as well as that person that can, can be there for the situation, they both add value. When we started the podcast, I told you that seeing your title is very intimidating, right? And so for some people who are maybe feeling imposter syndrome and don't want to speak up or are a little afraid to connect with people because they are intimidated, rightfully or wrongfully, um, what would you say to them? So the first thing I would say to people um, who kind of live in this space uh, Anytime you come to a new team, a new environment, a new project, there's just that first day of school feeling. And so the first thing you have to remember is you all of us are born for those moments. We're 100% born for those moments. And in those spaces, I think we have to give ourselves a break, right? Because some of us come to those situations and we want to spread our wings so far, we want to be able to answer any question, anything that comes our way. And that actually, I would suggest that our role in that moment is to show up for the role uh, that for which we were designed to be on that team Mm -hmm. and to start there. And to remember that we're in the life cycle of this new thing. So in the new life cycle, What people want most from you and are expecting from you is that you deliver in the space for which you were invited to that space. And not if you start with that affirmation of I was born for this moment Mm -hmm. and you believe in yourself and then move to preparation, which is, okay, whatever it is that I'm here to do to contribute, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be present. I'm going to share my wisdom and my knowledge with the team. I'm going to deliver. When we do those three things, and that leads to different relationships. And so follow up after those meetings, those projects, people who are with you, send them a quick note, say thank you for your additional insight for how you showed up for me today. Uh, For people who had questions, thank you for those constructive words. Let me give you some more insight after the meeting. What that does, again, back to creating the space for dialogue and for openness, people say, oh, this person actually followed up. They were present. And so you build those relationships. Now, when you go back to that room, virtual or otherwise, that same space, it starts to dissipate those negative feelings and that self-talk that's there. So those are the things I think that we just have to remember. You're you're born for that moment. And the more you prepare and start in the lane for which you were um, invited to that moment, Mm -hmm. you build confidence. And then that will allow you will allow you to have breath over time, but also more confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, And this last question before the lightning round. So you started 
And you talked about being a whole wife, a whole mom, a whole executive, a whole person. How do you make sure that like Ray, the woman doesn't get swallowed up by all of these other competing things? Like not balance. Like I'm not even talking about balancing work and family. I'm talking about not losing you. How do you do that? Uh, I pray. You have to stay. I, I stay centered. So for me, prayer is everything. I pray before this conversation right now. Um, it's just to continue to remind myself that I I rest in a higher power. Mm-hmm. And so I have to actually lean on that faith. If I don't leverage my faith, then it's dead, right? Faith without works is dead. So I, I have to be present um, in, in my own belief system. Um, and then I, I do things for myself, um, and try and make myself not cancel, like my spa appointment, my massage. I need the chiropractor <laughs> that I like to read. Um, and I like spending time with my family. And that's the, the thing watching, I would say is you have to set up your non-negotiables. What's not scheduled, what's not on my calendar actually doesn't happen. Mm. So my family's on my calendar. I have, um, you know, my kids are on my calendar in one color. So when I see that color, that means, you know, I don't negotiate that time. Mm. And so that helps me be a whole person because when I miss something as a mom or as a wife, that takes away from my belonging at work. And so I, I said, I'll sit down and Liz could tell you this. I'll sit down, um, a year out and go through all of next year and try to block off anything I know mm. in advance um, because it's that important to me. So our wellness, your wellness ladies matters. Mm-hmm. And again, it should be part of your map, right? If it's not scheduled, it's, it doesn't get done. Or if it's not scheduled, it's more likely to be interrupted, right? Mm-hmm. And I know you said faith without works is dead. I'm like, Lord, does it have to be so much work, Jesus? Like, how much work do we need with this faith, Lord? I literally just had this conversation last night. Like, Lord, I, some, we got to get on the same page, Jesus, because some some ain't working. Well, I do like- think, watching, you should be nice to yourself. I do think that the pandemic has flattened mm-hmm. um, this this thing called bandwidth. And while we're all complaining about it individually, collectively, we're having the same expectation of others. Mm. Um, This always on, well, you can just get on video, you can be virtual, you can use your phone, you can. And so we all are having an experience where we feel like we're working at 150% versus 100%. But the reality is we're also, are, you have to ask ourselves, are we doing that to other people? Mm. So how do you model what, how do we model what we would like modeled back for us? Mm. I just need Jesus to do what I ask him to do and we wouldn't have no problems. But that's a whole conversation for another day. I right. Okay, you know, Jesus will show up when he's ready. And that's the problem. That, that second part of your statement, that is that is where I... We got problems. Like when he's ready. I'm not gonna, I can't help you with that. I don't, I have not had the Batman Dakota ring, <laughs> no, on, on those blessings. I can't help you. Um, okay. So we're going to head to the lightning round. Just the first thing that comes to mind. Don't think too deeply about it. Um, what's one piece of career advice that you wish you had gotten earlier in your career? Um, accept assignments that scare you to death and have 
a situational mentor or coach. Hmm. What's the lesson that has taken you the longest to learn, but has had the most significant impact on your career? Um, the lesson that took me a while to learn that had impact though going forward is don't let negative people have access to you too long at work. Um, what's one book that you could read over and over again? The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. So funny. The conversation we had yesterday, same book. Oh, um, listen, listen. <laughs> that's a mic drop. It's yeah, so it's good. a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, if Forbes was doing a cover story on your career, what would the headline be? The People Whisperer. <gasps> oh, I like that. This one is a surprise question. Um, so if you could pick the title of a song, to describe your career right now, what it would what would it be? A title of a song. Mm. Uh, a lovely day. Oh, that is so beautiful. And then the last question, um, we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you're not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? Oh, watching. I hope they're saying uh, she is, she keeps it real. She delivers and she wakes up to make an impact. Oh, I love that. And with that, thank you so much. You all know that I like to end each episode with my top three gems. So here we go. The first is the importance of showing up and giving people what they need to be able to help you. You hear me talk about this all the time in the podcast about You know, the people who get the most help are the ones who make it easiest to help them. And so make sure that you're doing what you need to do so that people can help you. The second thing is to trust the timing of your professional development, which y'all know I'm on the struggle bus with on a regular basis. I'm like, Laura, what are you doing? I need you to speed this part up, slow this part down, do this, do that. But to understand that everything is going to happen um, in its own time and you have to do Um, what you need to do right now and focus on what is in front of you as opposed to letting the future or how far something seems um, cause you to not believe in the possibilities of your professional development. And then I think the last thing is um, around having a personal board of directors, right? Having um, people who can call you out in a loving way when you need it, but also having people who can cheer you on and support you um, because your career is a long game, right? It's not something that you do once and you're done. It it goes on for decades um, if you choose to work for that long. And so having a board of directors, people who are invested in you and your success, who can lovingly help guide you and make sure that you are following your North Star. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can connect with us on um, Instagram at choosealadder.com or on LinkedIn at choosealadder.com. And until next time, thank you for listening.